Good morning, everyone. I'm Sandy Knudsen, member of the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights, dealing with a little bit of seasonal allergies this morning, so please bear with me if I cough or something. Glad to see you here in person and online, especially on this holiday weekend as we transition back towards school, toward fall, not quite ready. Labor Day is a strange holiday to me since the name includes labor, but we're taking a day off of work. Actually ties in a tiny bit to the story we're looking at today. We have one more week left after this in our sermon series talking about the miracles of Jesus, where we've spent each Sunday with the story of one of the many, many miracles that Jesus did. Glad I get to take you through one more today. We've had an undercurrent in these sermons of talking about why miracles. The disciple John wrote his gospel for a purpose, which we're using as our theme verses throughout these series. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Rena talked about how miracles not only meet practical needs, but help us see God's character and love. Scott talked about how miracles have meaning and purpose, something for us to take home. Each miracle is a tiny snapshot. So to get us started thinking about the big picture, I decided we're gonna play a short game this morning. I hope you're mostly awake, caffeinated, ready to participate. I'm gonna show some slides up here with a close-up photo on each, photos I took from Reader's Digest, so thank you, Reader's Digest. I want you all to call out guesses of what these photos are of. So we're gonna put the first picture up here. What is this? It is a paintbrush. Let's go to the next photo slide. We can... What is this? Dandelion, you guys got this one. What's next one? Well, how about this one? Spaghetti, yes. How about our next one? What's this guy? A good guess, kind of close but not. It is a carrot. How about, we got one more here. What's this one? Lime. So when it's really zoomed in, it's hard to recognize what the picture is of. Zooming out makes more sense. And miracles are like that too. Any one miracle is part of a bigger picture. Or I would even say a bigger miracle. And it's important to be aware of that. So as we move into discussing this, let me pray for us. God, open our ears to hear what you have to speak to us this morning. Open our eyes. Help us to see clearly and See the bigger picture and see your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, I'm going to take us to Luke 13. This is about the middle of Jesus' ministry, and the chapter is sort of sad and puzzling overall. There's a conversation about if calamities are always a punishment for sin. The answer is no. And a parable about giving a fig tree one more year to see if it might produce fruit. The chapter ends after... Jesus says the door to God's kingdom is narrow, plus he laments and cries over Jerusalem. Yet, tucked in the middle of all this is a hopeful story with a miraculous healing, and that's the story we're going to look at. It's a story when some people miss the point of a miracle. I'll start reading in verse 10, and the passage will be on the screen behind me as well. So one Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. 
When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released, even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. So here's a miracle on the Sabbath. I joked earlier about Labor Day and how that's a day off work, but Sabbath was the weekly Jewish day off work. And on that day, Jesus does the work of healing this woman. But really, how could he not? He saw this woman bent over for 18 years that probably felt like 80. She might have lost all hope of ever having her mobility back, worn down by the years. And despite her condition, there she was in synagogue, the Jewish equivalent of a Sunday morning worship service like we're in right now. Maybe it felt to her like she was going through the motions, but she was faithful in putting herself in a place where she might see God. Even if her back hurt that day or people in the synagogue might have stared at her, she came. I wonder how old the woman was. 18 years might have been most of her life. It's long enough to grow up from diapers to marrying in that culture. Or maybe this woman had her own children with her that, there that day in synagogue. Children she could hardly keep up with or scoop up to hold and console if one skinned a knee. She wasn't at synagogue that day to beg for healing, as far as we know. Maybe she quit bothering to hope or ask unlike Bartimaeus, who Justin spoke about a few weeks back. Nothing in the text indicates that she spoke to Jesus. She certainly didn't have friends lower her through the roof like one paralyzed man did. It doesn't seem like she was looking for attention or expecting to get something from God. Yet in the synagogue that day, Jesus saw her, really saw her, and he had compassion on her. He knew God's power and love, and Jesus did something that comes naturally from knowing that. He healed her. Eighteen aching years of bondage vanished in one sentence and touch from Jesus. I'll pause on one little detail of the story. Luke tells us that the woman was crippled by an evil spirit. Luke was a physician, not someone prone to exaggeration, so it seems reasonable to take Luke's word for it. And plus, Jesus later says that the woman had been held in bondage by Satan. Some physical sicknesses seem to have a spiritual layer. Demons want to damage us in any way that they can, and that includes by affecting our bodies. As a hypothetical example, a person could have an upset stomach from eating spoiled food or from a virus or from stress. But if they got an upset stomach every Sunday morning that kept them from going to church, there might be a spiritual root cause rather than only a physical one. And such a root would be better treated like Jesus treats this woman, breaking off an oppression, rather than just taking more Toms. It's not the main focus today, just a brief detour I want to touch on before we move on. 
So when Jesus healed this woman, we see some very different responses to her healing. She got healed, and everyone can see that. But they think differently about what they've seen, and they respond differently. The woman responds by praising God. She experienced God's love in an amazing way, and she rejoices. She probably had some idea about God's character before. She's there in synagogue to worship God, apparently. But then she experiences God's love herself and how she praised God. Praise is a wonderful way of responding back to God's love and freedom and forgiveness. There's another story back a few chapters in Luke 7 where a woman who is described as sinful cried on Jesus' feet and put perfume on him. A religious leader who was hosting Jesus objected because of what sort of person this woman was and how she was a sinner. Jesus responds by saying, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she's shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only a little love. That's comparable to the response of this woman whose back was bent. She was seen, she was freed, and given life, and how she praised God. The more we experience God's love and forgiveness and healing, the more I hope we respond back with worship and love too. So on the other hand, the leader of that synagogue was aware the woman was healed, but he responded by complaining that the rules weren't followed. Miracles don't always fit our expectations, it turns out. In his sermon about the road to Emmaus, Pete talked about the miracles we want and how those aren't always the miracles we get. Miracles are a bit uncomfortable that way. The leader of the synagogue thought Sabbath was not for work of any kind, so healing wasn't to be allowed. He had such a narrow focus, like the photos earlier, that he didn't get the big picture and miss the biggest miracle. We can hope he was having a bad day, but <laughs> he missed it. If you've ever seen the VeggieTales Jonah movie, I think of the song that said Jonah was a prophet, but he did not get the point. So if you haven't seen that, you can look it up on YouTube later. I'm sure you'll thank me. This synagogue leader did not get the point. He wasn't thinking about the woman or her life of being trapped in a disability. He wasn't thinking about compassion or the power of God. So Jesus responded by rebuking the synagogue leader. I think Jesus wanted to set him free too. Jesus pointed out that even an animal is loosed and brought to water on Sabbath. The big picture idea behind Sabbath, Jesus argued, is freedom and giving life. He wanted the woman to have that too, regardless of rules. So we worked a miracle on the day of rest. Now we're back to another big picture idea. That each miracle is only part of a bigger miracle we can respond to. We get excited about seeing signs and wonders, people healed, and that is well and good. But this story starts out with Jesus seeing a woman, having compassion for her, and wanting to free her and heal her. The easy-to-see miracle in this story is the woman being healed, but I think Jesus' reaction to this woman, and to us as well, is also a miracle. God sees you. God loves you. God wants to heal you and set you free. That's what Jesus' whole life was about, 
including the miracles. Very early in the Gospel of Luke, we find a passage that some people think was Jesus' life mission statement. In Luke 4, 18 to 19, when Jesus first started his public ministry, Jesus quotes scripture that, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus says that scripture was fulfilled that day. God saw humanity was stuck, broken, suffering. So the Father gave us Jesus, who came with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring freedom and healing and show us the Lord's favor. Miracles were part of this mission, and so is the entire rest of Jesus' ministry. The synagogue leader sadly missed the point. I hope he thought later about what Jesus had said and understood. When we see a miracle, I don't want us to miss the point in the bigger picture. I want us to respond like this woman in the onlookers, rejoicing in the wonderful things Jesus does. I want us to see signs and wonders, and in them to see the wonder of God who saw us and loved us and came to rescue us. And in addition to miracles, other signs can point us in the same direction. Even if you never saw a miracle in your life, you could still see the same big picture. God created the world in an orderly, predictable way so we can live. God gave us a gift of being able to trust in how the world works of knowing that gravity will keep me from floating off into space and knowing the sun will rise tomorrow. This everyday consistency reflects God's faithful, consistent love. So it's the same big picture. Miracles are one sign, and the world operating beautifully in the way God created it is another sign. The miracles Jesus did were signs of God's love, and we see God's love in the rest of Jesus' ministry like how Jesus interacted with that sinful woman who poured perfume on him, or the kind of lifestyle Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. However, I'd love for us to see miracles as signs too. The Apostle Paul said we should desire the special abilities the, spiritual, the Spirit gives, what we call spiritual gifts. Those include faith, healing, and miracles. We can desire these things. We can pray for them and ask God persistently for them. Matthew tells us that Jesus said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Miracles are good gifts from our good Father. I hope we do ask and even expect the Father to do miracles among us by the power of the Spirit. I think as well of a miracle story from a book I grew up with. God's Smuggler is a biography of a man called Brother Andrew. He risked his life traveling into many Iron Curtain countries during the Cold War. 
bringing Bibles and encouragement to pastors and churches in these nations. He saw miracles. For example, on one trip, he drove into Romania. At the border, he saw each car was being practically pulled apart so every inch could be searched. He had a carload of Bibles, which would get him barred from the country at a minimum and possibly killed, worst case scenario. Brother Andrew asked God for a miracle, putting Romanian Bibles right out on his passenger seat as a sign of dependence on God rather than strategy to get him through that checkpoint. When his car got to the front of the line, instead of ordering Brother Andrew out of the car and searching it, the officer just signed his papers, waved him through in seconds. And as a kid, I read that story and thought it was cool and exciting. But entertainment wasn't the point of the miracle. The point was for Brother Andrew to go on sharing God's love with discouraged, isolated brothers and sisters of Romania and to give them the word of life. It was one sign of a larger miracle. What I'm saying today is that I hope we keep any miracle situated in the larger picture of God's love for the world. Like with the photo game at the start of this sermon, some things make more sense viewed as part of the big picture. Miraculous healings or signs are only part of the story. They're not by themselves the solution for the world. Our world started out with a beautiful fellowship and intimacy between people and God. But people screwed it up like we so often do. Genesis 3 gives us the prognosis. Toil, pain, power struggles, and death. But Jesus came. He did miracles for a while, but he also changed the trajectory of the world forever. Our future, described in the book of Revelation, is life and healing without sorrow or pain. Fellowship and intimacy are restored. Jesus' life brought all of that for us, and the miracles he did during his earthly life were only pointing to the bigger work he was doing. Miracles now remind us of the same. Remember, our theme verses for this series say, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. The miracles are signs pointing to something else, to Jesus, the Son of God, who gives us life by the power of his name. So when we see God do something amazing, it's not just a cool thing to post on TikTok or whatever, although sharing miracle stories is great. I want us to remember any miracle is a sign to the larger miracle of God's love and the life God gives us. In light of that bigger picture, you choose how to respond. You could decide that miracles are too messy and that they don't fit the rules like the synagogue leader did. You could ignore the signs altogether. I hope you don't. I hope that you look at miracles like this one and choose to respond like this woman who had been bent over did. I hope you see miracles and praise God. Thank our Heavenly Father for God's kindness and good gifts. I want to invite you to respond now. The rest of your life is really a chance to respond. Have you been bent in some way or felt trapped like this woman? How will you, Rena? how will you, Bob, how will you, Nancy, each of you, praise God?
You can respond to God even while I'm up here talking. You can respond in any way. But I'll provide one option to respond by praying along with me in a moment. This invitation is especially for you if you haven't responded to God this way in a long time, maybe ever. So let us pray. God, you are powerful and wonderful, yet you saw me when I was bent like this woman, and you loved me enough to come and set me free and give me life. You did that through Jesus. I gratefully receive what you came to offer me. I want my life to reflect this going forward. I want my life to reflect your love to others. And I want to be part of bringing your love and freedom to others. Help me, please. In the name of Jesus, amen. That's a start in responding to God. And the rest of our service today, like usual, is an intentional moment for response in a lifetime opportunity to respond to the miracle of God's love. So I invite the worship team to make their way back to the stage. And prayer team members, please come forward as well. Everyone is invited to stand if you are able. And I'll share three tips for the week. So first, something to read. Read any miracle story from the Gospels. The selection of ones we've covered this summer should provide some ideas to start. But you're free to choose any, and there's plenty more. Whichever story you read, think about how that story connects to the larger mission of Jesus and the characteristics of God. Big questions. Next, something to pray. Pray for deeper understanding and experience of the freedom in life that Jesus came in love to offer us. We need reminders and signs of all kinds to point us back to God's love. Sometimes we don't worship God because we've missed the miracles and signs and forgotten the big picture, and at least I can always use a reminder. Last, something to do. Praise and thank God for the ways you have seen Jesus' love in your own life. You could try spending five minutes just reflecting on what God has done. You could write out a list of things you're grateful for. You could find another person to share a story with and tell them how the signs in your life point to the bigger picture. That's what I have for us today. Do come forward if you'd like prayer. If you felt are trapped in pain or bent in any way, like this woman. Jesus saw her and had compassion on her. Please, come up and let us pray with you. And if you want Jesus to set you free from a narrow focus, help you see the bigger picture, like the synagogue needed, leader needed, please also come forward. Let us pray with you. There's compassion and freedom for that too. Otherwise, worship team will direct the rest of our time. Thanks for letting me share with you today. Thank you, Sandy. Lord, we acknowledge you. Help us to respond to you, God, to receive everything that you have for us in this time.